Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. And it's always stuck with me because I thought it's such a, such a sort of visionary statement. He said, yeah, he said, I know that we're not in a competitive situation. He said, but you know what? When you, when you want to employ the best people, the best people will want to come to the best company. If we have a culture where we celebrate solving customers' problems, where that gets a lot of praise, where those stories get retold within the organization, that can be a source of motivation as well. And I went, no, I don't actually. And he went, ah, that's, you know, here's my evidence to sort of show that actually this is a load of rubbish and we shouldn't be doing anything and everything else. I just went, you're just looking at it totally the wrong way. Ryan, pickle time, mate. Good. Love pickle time. I absolutely love a pickle. So for those of you that don't know what a pickle is, we, we have our, ask our listeners to uh, write in or to actually not just write in, but you can now record your pickle. A pickle is a business problem that you may have. Uh, Ryan and I will attempt to resolve that pickle for you. And today's pickle is sent in from uh, Christine Jones. Okay. She's written in, which is absolutely fine. You don't need to record your message, but you you could do and appear on the show as well. Christine has said that our organization does not take complaints or our voice of the customer program seriously. What can we do? Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Yeah, it is. It's a very good one. You know what? This so reminded me as I read this pickle. I remember when I was back in corporate life and I remember sitting in a management meeting, a senior management meeting, and I was complaining to the team. And this was, we had like the CEO there and then we had um, marketing and customer service, et cetera, et cetera. And my, my role at that point was to try to improve the customer experience. So this was 20 years ago. And I remember sitting in this room and I remember basically having a go at all of my colleagues about the fact that we undertook this survey every year and it came out with the results and we would then have a conversation about doing something about the results and then nobody would ever do anything. It feels like so much of corporate culture is about checking a box and then ignoring whatever happened. Yeah. My, my very first job, I worked as a, a courtesy clerk in a grocery store. So I'd you know, bag groceries and retreat. Yeah. We had a suggestion box on the wall that in the year and a half that I worked there, I am fairly confident was never opened. <laughs> so like, you know, it, it's there. We, we have an opportunity for people to talk to us. Like we have yeah. a voice of the customer. Yeah. It's at this box that's over there that I'm pretty sure nobody at the store even had the key to anymore. Like it was just, yeah. No. And let me set the scene and build on top of that because I'm at this management meeting and I'm saying to everybody, look, guys, you know, we do this survey 
and it costs us a lot of money to do this survey. And we get these results. My responsibility is to pass them out to you to action them within your part of the team. And they're not getting actioned and we're upsetting our customers and that's going to lead to a lack of loyalty and blah, 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 blah. And one of the guys turned around and said, why don't we just stop doing it then? <laughs> he said, I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> no, there was some logic here, right? So he said, why don't we just stop doing it? Because it's costing us, I don't know, 30 grand, 50 grand, whatever it might be. And we could spend that money elsewhere. And, and two or three of the guys went, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I sat there and I said to them, I can't believe we're having this conversation that we are genuinely talking about stopping our voice of the customer program because you don't want to action what the customer is telling you. I mean, goodness sake. Well, let's start there. Christine, have you considered this? Like, <laughs> could, you, could you just stop listening to the customer? I mean, I, when I'm in a fight with my wife, the best solution I find is to just stop listening to her. That <laughs> solves the problem immediately. And, and how many times have you been married now, mate? I'm now on my fourth wife. Um, but you know, it, is there a no. trend there at all? <laughs> like I'm, I'm nervous about getting sick, so I find that if I just don't go to the doctor and find out what's wrong, like yeah. there's no problem there. Like, yeah. this this logic is impenetrable. It's uh, it solves all your problems. What I should have done next time, I should have just put paper bags over everybody's heads. <laughs> yeah, because Ro- roll in a, a big bucket of sand that people yeah. can bury their. It's heads a lot simpler, is it that way? Sure. But I guess the issue is. The same that Christine's saying, okay, which is, she's talking about complaints as well, you know, and voice of the customer programs. There's so many serious points that come out of this, which is, let me go to my end point first, Christine, which is when I experienced that personally, I realized that the organization I was working for, I shouldn't be working for (laughs) (laughs) because we were just at diametrically opposite ends of the scale when it came to, well, how do we actually improve our customer experience and are we actually serious about it? Because it's a bloody big telltale sign that the organization is just not committed, basically. Whilst on one side of it, you go, yeah, it could have saved us 30, 50 grand, whatever the number was. You know, that's a decent amount of money. But the interesting part is when you pull that apart and you start going, well, why were they like that? Christine, why are your team like that? And part of that for me, if I reflect back on the organization I was with, was that we were in a pretty dominant situation where the products and services that we sold, we were the dominant player in the market. So it wasn't a monopoly. But I think the further up the scale, if you drew a scale from being in a monopoly situation all the way down to a highly competitive, commoditized marketplace, we were certainly towards that more monopoly setting. And I think you could, I've never done this before, actually, but it's pretty bloody obvious thinking about it now. You could then draw customer centricity because lack of customer centricity goes hand in hand with monopolies. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a commodity type business, you're forced to be more customer centric because the market is so much more dynamic and variable. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And in fact, we could put on our hard nosed economist hats for a minute 
and say that as important as it is to serve customers, even from kind of an, like an ethical standpoint, like, you know, you, you should you should make your customer satisfied just because you should. You could also look at it kind of coldly and rationally and say that for monopolies, it may be the instance that there's a better business case to be made for not expending a lot of effort and time. Sure and money and serving your customer because they've got nowhere else to go, right? So that may be the better business decision. I think for anywhere outside of Monopoly though, and I'd be interested in you looking back 20 years on how that company has fared since then, just because you're in a dominant position doesn't mean you're always going to stay in a dominant position. And so it can create vulnerabilities if you're not, you know, a government agency that has a Monopoly lockdown on it. Yeah. And it's funny you should say that, mate, because there's rumours around that they're going to be taken over. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Because it's not a good position to be in. And funny you should say that as well in terms of, you know, if you're a monopoly. I always remember in the early days of Beyond Philosophy, we did some work for a water company in the UK. Mm -hmm. I've talked a couple of times about these. This was a company that used the word challenge. You remember me talking about Mm -hmm. they want to challenge the thing. So this was a sign of a healthy culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, rather than like talking to truth to power, basically. So they use the word challenge, which I've always, since then, I've always used it. I, you know, I want to challenge that thinking. And I always remember talking to the CEO there who called us in, and they were one of the first clients of Beyond Philosophy, who called us in and was chatting about things. And they are, you know, like all the water companies, they are in a, they're in a monopolistic situation. Sure. Highly regulated. Yeah, highly regulated, you know, it's not competitive, blah, 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 blah. And I said to him, I said, why are you doing this? Yeah. For the for the very reasons that you outlined. And he said, and it's always stuck with me because I thought it's such a such a sort of visionary statement. He said, Yeah, he said, I know that we're not in a competitive situation. He said, but you know what? When you when you want to employ the best people, the best people will want to come to the best company. Yeah, mm. The regulator will look upon you favorably if your customers are telling you they're doing a good job. And the point that he was making was, and the best organizations would be much more efficient than other organizations. And part of that was the whole area around customer experience. And I just thought it was such a good reply and and a good reason for a monopoly doing it. I'm digressing. Let's get back to Christine's pickle. The point you were making for Christine there is an organization that is actively ignoring or hostile towards their voice of the customer. Colin listed off several characteristics of, of a healthy culture at these companies. Ignoring voice of the customer is a sign of an unhealthy corporate culture. Definitely. And so if you can't fix the problem, it may be time to, to look elsewhere. Yes. We'll put it in the show notes. My second book was uh, Revolutionize Your Customer Experience. We did a couple of podcasts, in fact, about three or four months ago, where we talked about what are the traits of an organization and how can you tell how customer focused they are? And to your point, Ryan, this is a big pointer that they're not very customer focused. And therefore, again, to your point, if you look at where that's going to take them in 10 years' time or whatever it may be, is it, let me put it this way, is not up. No, it's <laughs> yeah. very short-sighted. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
let's get into some of the detail here because yeah, assuming I, you're going to stay christine what can we do to possibly help yeah and just understanding what's happening because i i think the sort of the first step is just going well why do they think this well and for me the main reason that they think this is it's basically because it's not important yes and therefore the opposite of that becomes you have to make it important Mm-hmm. And then you go, well, okay, how do we make it important? Well, actually, what gets measured gets done. Uh, and in my view, what gets paid for on those measures gets done even more. So here's an exaggeration, but it hopefully makes the point. If their people's pay packet was based 100% on the results of customer complaints and voice of the customer program, do you think they'd focus on it? Yeah. And the answer is, yes, they would. All right. So clearly, I'm not suggesting that you put 100% on it. But you've got to have it significantly enough, in my view, that the results become important. Now, I'm sure if Fred Reicheld was sitting here, he would be saying to me, no, he disagrees with that approach and everything else. And that's absolutely fine. Okay. But for me, it's got to be enough to cause enough pain that if they lost some of that money that that would hurt them or they would notice maybe a notice is better than the word hurt but the point i'm also trying to make about fred's point which i'm sure he'd make is you also need to make sure that you would uh, not allow people to game the system in any way it's important that the voice of the customer program is independent as well I can understand Christine's frustration, right? It sounds like she's maybe somebody who's over the voice of the customer. And so for her, that's her whole job. And from her perspective, this is really key for the company. And it's very frustrating when other people won't pay attention to it. So I'm, I'm very sympathetic. I think, though, that we need to offer equal empathy for all those other people who are ignoring it, right? So if you're in some other division of the company... Almost certainly there's more stuff for you to do each day than you have time to do. Yeah. And so you need to prioritize. And so what are you going to prioritize? To your point, Colin, you're going to prioritize the stuff that gets you paid. It's the stuff that are your kind of key metrics and the things that you're going to have to meet quarterly with your boss to review and the things that are going to determine your bonus. Christine, this may be beyond your power to change, which means you need allies higher up in the organization who decide we need to make this a commitment. You're never going to be able to force the rest of the organization into compliance on this. There needs to be power from on high saying, this is a priority. Here's how we're going to measure it. Here's how we're going to talk about it. To your earlier point, Colin, about pay, that's the most direct and arguably the most effective way to motivate people. Sure. It's not the only way. The company culture can motivate people in non-directly remunerative ways, right? So if we have a culture where we celebrate solving customers' problems, where that gets a lot of praise, where those stories get retold within the organization, that can be a source of motivation as well, right? But yes, the easiest thing, usually the most effective thing is if you want it to, to matter, then tie it to people's bonuses, right? Make sure that they're being measured, make sure that it's being checked up on, and then also make sure that they can't just game those measurement systems. Yeah, and we did a podcast a little while ago about five rules for engaging with senior executives, okay? And one of the rules that's in there was because, again, let's be clear, if the senior team were pro this and they took it seriously, 
and they spoke to people about it. So forget paid for a moment, but if they if they jumped on the person every time they came through about voice of the customer and what they were doing about it, if the people that were good at this got promotion, that had good results got promotion, then people would start to get the message that this stuff is important to them. But the point I'm, I'm trying to build on, on, on yours, Ryan, was and reference back to the last podcast about engaging with the senior execs, you've got to educate them. I mean, what this tells me is the senior team don't really think it's important enough. Yep. Because otherwise it would be happening, okay? And therefore the issue is, and this is where you have to look in the mirror, Christine, and go, well, what have you done to educate the senior team on on this subject? What case studies have you shown them? And when I say, let me be clear, I'm not saying, Christine, go and suddenly say to the senior team, hey, you lot have got to go on a five-day training course because you're bloody useless and don't understand this stuff. <laughs> you know, I like good stories. I'm not opposed to that, Christine, <laughs> if it comes down to it. I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to visit verant.com backslash boundless to download the new engagement capacity gap study and to find more resources and information. I would also like to encourage you to go to verant.com to register for Engage 22 Better Together, the company's annual engagement conference in Orlando from June 13th to June 16th. It's a premier in-person event bringing together CX leaders, brands, industry partners, industry analysts, partners, and Verit experts to share insights and best practices in customer engagement. Let me give you another little anecdote, which I always thought was great. We had a client in the UK, and whenever they got a voice of the customer survey results, which happened, used to happen once a quarter, they would deploy what they called, what um, this guy called, uh, guerrilla marketing techniques. What were they? They would basically go up to the executive floor when the execs weren't there in the morning or late at night, and they would plaster the results everywhere, literally into and go into the restrooms, to the executive restrooms and put the results up on the restrooms, you know, in the restrooms on the cubicle doors and stuff like that to make an impact and go, look at these results, either celebrating the fact that things have improved or going, actually, you know, some areas that we need to improve upon. But that was another form of education, I guess, is is my point. Because what you've got to get over is you've got to get over why the senior team have, have got to do this and therefore go back to my infamous question, what's driving value? Because what they're going to be interested in is how does this all help drive uh, revenue or drive down costs or whatever the key metrics are? No, I think that's brilliant. I want to mention here confirmation bias. And we know that confirmation bias is effectively, this is a psychological trait where we tend to look for things to confirm our view of the world. Mm. And the danger is, is they're looking at the results and going, yeah, this is what it means. And therefore, by definition, they're going to carry on doing that. And I think the other part here is, and I've written down here in my notes, reference points. So the part of the problem I think that I had to deal with was everybody else in the industry was 
pretty bad as well. <laughs> so it's a bit like uh, we talk about cable companies. I haven't spoken about them a lot, have we, actually, recently? But it's just because everyone's just so bad in the in the area that you just go, well, we're just as bad as everybody else, so it doesn't really matter, does it? Think of the opportunity that there would be on the upside if they were to get this right, basically. Yeah, that's right. The flip side of that is exactly what you say, where to a certain extent it's true. If the entire industry is terrible, then you only need to be slightly less terrible in order to reap some advantage. But that also means that those slight improvements can make a big deal, can be yeah. very noticeable. If you're competing in the luxury hotel space, it's going to be very hard for you to be noticeably better than any of your competitors because they're all just so good. But yeah, if you're working in cable, gosh, like just don't spit in my eye occasionally and, and that would really be appreciated. Yeah. Again, I remember feeding back some research results to a cellular phone company once. This was about 10 years ago, I think. And one of the questions a guy asked me there was, he said, so these results, he said, do you think these would be different in the other cellular companies? And I went, no, I don't actually. And he went, ah, that's, you know, here's my evidence to sort of show that actually this is a load of rubbish and we shouldn't be doing anything and everything else. I just went, you're just looking at it totally the wrong way. Yeah. The, the reason it wouldn't be different is because you're all just so bad. Mm. What you're saying is you don't want to improve and you can't see the opportunity and you're happy just living in that melee of that swamp of complaints and everything else. And go back to my water example, how much better would it be and how much more pride people would have if they were working in the best cellular phone company that there was in the world that was 20 points above everybody else and think how much easier it would be to recruit people and to train people and just think of the recruitment costs i mean they would just go dramatically down so i think that that's a whole area that people don't really even think about but i also think the other part here is that the danger is is that people go what they're effectively doing as well christine is they're effectively also saying, yeah, these are bad, or I'm not taking any notice of these, but you know what? To change, and to change what we're going to do is a bloody big job. And you know what? I, I know that's a pain, and I've got to deal with that pain, but the pain of change is going to be far worse than doing what we're doing, and I don't even know that world. And potentially, and this was true with some people that I knew back in the day. I don't even know if I like that arena where I can't just focus on my sales skills. I actually have to f develop new skills to deal with customers. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I think this gets back to the original point you raised around culture and about resistance. Essentially, Christine, somebody in your role is just constantly agitating <laughs> your role within the organization is to push people to change and to do better. That can be helped with a healthy culture and with measurements and, but change is always difficult and you're going to be up against inertia. And so, yeah, the idea that we need an entire mind shift where we're all actively looking for opportunities to change and improve, where that's the culture. I think we can't emphasize this, the cultural aspect of this enough because it's unusual, right? Most of us, are in a place where 
kind of we we want things to stay the same where we're comfortable we kind of think got things figured out and so if, if we've got somebody that's disrupting and trying to to get us to all change that's going to be unpopular yeah it's only when we recognize that we have to change the businesses around us are changing and if we don't keep up we're going to fall behind and fail that's when what you are arguing for christine goes from being a negative to a positive from an irritant to an opportunity Let's give Christine some practical things that you can do, Christine, in this environment. And again, I've tried a number of these and a number of these have worked, by the way. Uh, I know that they do work. I like the idea that that you're bringing a list of things that you've tried and that have failed. But hey, you know, it might work for you. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess. I'm glad you clarified that. These have tried. You've tried these and they've worked. So that's good. Yeah. One day I showed up in a panda bear costume. Uh, that didn't do anything, but you know, go ahead and try it, I guess. Yeah, I like that one. I'd choose a pirate, actually. I always like dressing up as a pirate. <laughs> that's, a, that's a better choice for sure. Uh, maybe do a sea shanty or something like that. Yeah. Those are popular now. <laughs> the first thing I would say is I mentioned before, you got to educate them, okay? You haven't got to tell them you're going to educate them, but you've got to educate them. And one way of educating them that, again, is really useful. You remember I told you about this guy that did this sort of guerrilla marketing of mm-hmm. when they got the results. He used to run a blog page on the corporate website, and this is a large corporate company. His blog page had far more views than the CEO's blog page. <laughs> okay, Why? Because what he did was he was constantly talking about customer experience. So he would come, go on and write a blog and go, last night I went to the cinema and this happened and that happened. It made me think about what we do to customers and blah, 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 blah. And he was very honest and transparent about the good things and the bad things that their organization was doing. His view was he was educating people about it, you know, being transparent, educating people, telling them that these things are not going to get resolved overnight. What he also used to do, and, and again, what I would advise you to do, is get them to listen to this podcast. Get them to listen to our podcast, to other people's podcasts on customer experience. Get them to read different blogs. Send around those different blogs. Get them to deal with customer complaints. So as part of their education, get them to actually deal with the customer complaints, yeah? Or even listen to some of the voice of the customer if you're doing interviews or if you're doing nothing we've done in the past, is like speed dating. Remember speed dating? Sure. You get 12 customers in the room and 12 of the senior team. You get them to, the customer to talk to the senior exec for two minutes and then they all move around and then they all, you know, another two minutes. And then afterwards turn around and go, well, what was good about that? What was bad about that? The important aspect here is getting them exposed to the customer who has got real life situations Uh, or it could be another one that works really well uh, other than the pirate costume because i do like (laughs) a pirate costume or the panda costume is work with one area i'm sure there must be one of the areas that you deal with that are more concerned about the results than another area and therefore again this is what i've personally done is you go right i'm going to put all of the resources from the central team into that one area to show that this works and then when it starts to work what you find is those other areas start to go oh why have we not got the resources why won't you come and help us do this why you know that they're 
customer sat rates are going through the roof and their revenues are improving. Why are you focused on those areas? And then you know, again, by definition, that you're you're starting to have a an effect. Does this that kind of the idea sense? of looking for easy wins or early wins to yeah. build momentum? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, also just not butting heads with the sure. person that's the most anti all of this stuff. Absolutely. Because like in any large organization, politics will play a place. And some people will be pro this and some people will be against it. So don't use all your energy up and all of your morale up on the people that are really against it. Work with the people that want to work with you. Prove that it works and then go and work in those those other areas. And I love that. You had the um, advice earlier in the show about bringing these case studies, bringing these examples. Do your research on that. Like look for Harvard Business Review articles or, you know, articles in Fast Company or Business Week where voice of the customer really turned things around for some particular organization. Yeah. You can also look for entertaining fails in the related area of word of mouth. So if your customer's complaining to you, you know that they are far, far more likely to be complaining to other people about you. Like reaching out to the company has additional burdens rather than you know telling your story to friends and family. Yeah. And so there are tons of examples of just colossal word of mouth fails for companies. Like I teach the, the case of United Breaks Guitars, which is a song that was written by a Canadian country singer that went like mega viral on Correct. Uh, YouTube. I think they yeah. calculated it affected United's stock price at one yes. point. Yes. Just like massively terrible because of a terrible customer experience that he had that was based on United Airlines damage policies. Like it was, it was just the, the employees were not doing badly. They were doing what they were trained to do. Yes. And the result for the customer was torturous. And so he wrote a song and put it on YouTube and it became very, very popular. United could have fixed that problem years in advance Yes, by actually listening to customers, by tracking, well, what, what does this policy look like when we make people actually have to adhere to it and recognize that this is a potential powder keg that's going to blow yeah. up? There's a great video as well. Yeah, it, it was terrible. We'll have to put it in the show notes, actually. You and I, and it was a very good song. I don't like country music, but I really like the song. It's uh, yeah. very catchy. Now, you and I talked about how some of this stuff is more important in certain industries than others. If you're a monopolist, you don't have to worry about this as much. That group of companies that doesn't have to worry about customer complaints and voice to the customer is shrinking over time in part because word of mouth is getting more powerful. Yes. So if that singer had had the same problem 20 years earlier, he would have written his song and sung it for his small audiences at the bars he was playing at, and that would have been it. Yeah. But with YouTube, now anybody can listen to it. Find these examples, these these really powerful, flavorful examples and get those in front of the people who don't care about this stuff and say, by not listening to the customer, we are setting ourselves up to be the next one of these. Can we please get ahead of this? Yes, no, absolutely. And particularly if one of your competition have, start to have a problem, because that, again, can be useful. Christine, I hope that's been of, of use. If you have a pickle yourself and you want to appear on the show, then all you need to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. You'll see a big red button there. You can press the record button and just tell us what your problem is, and then we'll uh, get you appearing on the show. Or if you don't want to do that, like Christine, you just write down 
on the same page what the issue is and we will attempt to deal with it. This is a common issue. Unfortunately, it's probably too common, to be directly honest with you. But this is a common issue and I, I hope that's been of use to you, Christine. Please let us know how you how you get on. And we look forward to talking to you next week on the show. Thanks very much. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.